Tonight, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, we're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in a sermon that I've titled, Working Together, Working Together, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in a moment, uh, we'll read verses 12 down through verse number 26, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For those that may not know, the human body consists of 206 bones, each of which are important and provide different functions. And it's truly amazing to think about how God has designed our bodies to be made up of so many different bones, and each of them operate in perfect harmony, or at least they should be. Uh, And as they do, uh, they allow the body to function properly. Uh, In addition to bones, God has designed each body with 78 organs. Each of these organs serve a purpose, and all of them contribute to the health and the function of the body. God has also designed each body with different muscles. Our bodies are made up of three different types of muscles, and it's estimated that there are over 650 muscles in our bodies. When the psalmist declared in Psalm 139 and verse 14, he said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. He wasn't kidding. That is so true. We're fearfully and we are wonderfully made. God's work in us is truly marvelous. Think about all that happens behind the scenes of our body functioning as it should, bones operating as they should, organs functioning as they should, muscles working as they should. God has given our bodies a central command center in our brains to send signals to all the different parts of our body to get them to function and operate as they should according to the different commands that they have been given. And think of how fast this is done based on how quickly we move. Something as simple as just the blinking of an eye, which takes milliseconds, it still requires the brain to send the signal to our upper and lower eyelid to close. And that's done at just an astronomical rate, such a quick quick pace. It's amazing to think how intricately God has formed each of us and how important every part of our bodies are in order for us to function at full capacity. Now, in our passage here this evening, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he's describing the body of Christ, the church, as a human body. He's using the picture of a human body to describe this. He declares that each member of the body, each member of the church, makes up a specific part of the body, each of which is important for the body to function to our fullest capacity. Paul uses this illustration to show us really the, the working community that we should have as believers within a church. Even as every cell in the body is linked by a common DNA code, And every function of the body receives its signal from the brain. Every part of the body may look different. It may be treated differently, maybe works differently, and even accomplishes different purposes. And just as there is great diversity among our physical bodies, so is there among the body of Christ, both in appearance as well as in the different functions that we serve, with each of us still having the same DNA code, and each of us still having the same signal caller in our Heavenly Father. 
One of the best passages to describe the purpose of the body of Christ, the purpose of the church, is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 12 through 16. And I want you to listen to what this passage says with regards to the church. It says of God that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and this is the purpose, he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So according to that passage, one of the main purposes of the church as a church body collectively is edification, is to build up the body. We're to be building each other up. It uses the word there, fitly joined together, describing what we should look like as a body of believers. How many of you have ever been part of a three-legged race? Good decision, David. You've never done it. How, how well did that go for those of you that have done it, running a three-legged race before? Who's willing to share? Pretty good. You're not really helping my illustration here. Generally, I mean, you, you, may, you may be pretty good, but at the same time, it's, there's a struggle, right? There's a little bit of a struggle because for those of you that don't know what a three-legged race is, you're partnered up with someone and maybe you, you, have, you each have one leg in a you know, potato sack or maybe you've just tied your legs together and you're each using one leg independently and then you're sharing the use of another leg. And so you're trying to, to walk in conjunction with the other person and even though you have an end goal in mind that's the same, the results aren't always the best uh, because sometimes the, the one person that you're tied to is, is maybe you know, walking a little bit quicker than you are and you're trying to keep up and you're being more dragged than you are walking next to them. Uh, but the idea is that you know, you're supposed to be able to do this and it's supposed to be kind of a fun thing to do and, and um, supposed to get a, a good laugh out of each other probably falling and stumbling your way to the finish line. But most of the time, it usually ends up that there's a little bit of a struggle. Even if you end up winning the race and, and actually coming out doing pretty good, there's a little bit of a struggle, especially initially getting off the, the, the starting line because you're trying to sync each other's movements together. And that can be a little bit of a struggle. The timing doesn't always match up. And this is kind of the idea that we see here with the picture that Paul has given us with the body of Christ here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, that it requires every single person with every different part that they play to operate in conjunction with each other, even if they may have a different function and role than you may have. Uh, whether you have, have um, well, let me ask you this. How, how does your body feel after a long day of physical exertion? So it doesn't matter what you necessarily did. Maybe you went to the gym. Maybe you went on a long hike. Maybe you just worked out at home. Maybe, you know, you worked out in the yard. How does your body typically feel after a long day of physical exertion? 
You're usually tired, right? You're, depending on what you've done, different body parts are going to be aching more than others. And either way, you're going to be exhausted. Whether you spent you know, several hours at the gym, whether you went on a long hike, or you're working outside with your hands all day, your body responds by letting you know that it's tired, that it's physically exhausted. If you were at the gym, depending on what muscle group you were exercising and you worked out, part of your body might, st might still function just fine while the other part might be just exhausted. If you ran a marathon, your legs may be aching and just you know, not wanting to move anymore while your arms may be a little bit better. I've been there where at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm trying to clean up and I'm taking a shower and I can't even lift my arms up to shampoo my head. Have you ever been there before? Where I, I literally have to, you know, do one of these and just, you know, get my whole body involved to swing my arm up just to shampoo my head. And it, it's the craziest thing, but when your arms are, are that physically exhausted after a long day of working, they don't want to function. Our brain may be sending all the signals to our arms and to the muscles and to the bones saying, you know, move up and shampoo your head, but it refuses to cooperate because physical exhaustion has set in. And it's almost as if, you know, our arms are sending the signal back to the brain saying, you know, why don't you come down and make me move because I'm staying put right where I am. Our bodies may be joined together, but are they always functioning as fitly as they should? As much as we're supposed to take care of our bodies, be conscious of our physical health, what we eat, what we drink, get plenty of rest and exercise, the same is true with the body of Christ. The body of Christ, as it says there in Ephesians chapter 4, is to be fitly joined together. We're supposed to be working together for the purpose of Christ. And as it says there in Ephesians chapter 2, on two occasions, or Ephesians chapter 4, twice it mentions for the edification of the body. We're supposed to be building one another up, strengthening each other. What good are we if we're only focused on ourselves individually without a care for how the church is collectively? We'll be like the person running in the three-legged race, bound to fall because we're trying to do things without communicating with the person that we're tied to, and we're just running the race all by ourselves. And the lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here is that the body of Christ should be working together. The work of the believer shouldn't be an isolated work. Does God call you to maybe do something individually? Yes, absolutely. But in this context, he's addressing the collective body of Christ and what that should look like, what our responsibility is to the one another's that we are in church with. And so we're supposed to be supporting one another. We're supposed to be strengthening each other in this process. Uh, this is something that I will admit that we struggle with, and we struggle with it for a variety of different reasons. Some of us have been used to doing everything ourselves, and so we don't need anyone's help. Uh, some of us don't feel equipped, don't feel skilled enough to get involved in certain areas uh, where we feel that there is a need. Some of us think that there is only one specific area where we can get involved in, and when the area seems to be already occupied and, and someone seems to be managing that job pretty well, we just feel that there's nothing left for us to offer. Some of us don't know how to even ask for help. Some of us don't want to ask for help. Some of us don't think that there's anything we can do because of our age, whether we're too young or whether we feel like we're too old. Some of us don't realize that God could shift us from serving him in one area to another area. Some of us don't want to get involved at all. Some of us don't have time to get involved. Some of us aren't around enough to get involved. And some of us don't care. 
about getting involved. Now, I will admit, there is no perfect church. Every church struggles in this area of working together and coming together as a body for the edification of each other. And one of the reasons we struggle so much in this area is because we fail to see the motivation behind our service for Christ. Colossians 1.18 tells us how things should be, where the, the foundation should be with regards to our work and our service for Christ. And the context there in Colossians chapter 1 speaks of Christ and everything that he has done for us, how he has made all things for his glory and what our relation is to him in light of that. And listen to what it says in Colossians 1.18. It says of Christ that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ should have the preeminence. That's where our motivation should come when we're serving him as a collective body. The motivation behind all of it should be that we are giving Christ the first place, the preeminence, and we're trying to magnify him with everything that we're doing. As a church, we're not unified on a pastor. We're not unified on a deacon board, but on Jesus Christ and his word. He's supposed to be preeminent in all things. And when that's not the foundation, we're going, to strumble, we're going to stumble, we're going to struggle, we're going to have all sorts of issues. When Christ has the preeminence in every area of the ministry, we'll thrive. We'll see success. We'll see God's hand bless in every little thing that we put our hands forth to do. But Christ having the preeminence insists that every single believer making up this body is doing his or her part. We're only as strong as our weakest member, and our responsibility, again, is to edify one another and strengthen each other for the good work that God has called us to do. We should be desiring to strive together towards Christ in unity as we're fitly joined together, serving him for his purpose. Now, your Bibles should be open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Follow along as I read beginning at verse number 12, and I'll read down through verse number 26. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, and I'll read down through verse 26. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many." If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is, therefore, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were their hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness." For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So the picture that we get here is really neat. 
you know, a picture of a human body, but relating to every person in the church. And if you think about it, it's, it's such a, a perfect way of describing it. Every single one of us are serving a different role in this church. Some are eyes, some are hands, some are feet, some are ears, some are noses, but every one of us are important. And I love how it says there several different times. You know, look at verse number 14 again. For the body is not one member, but many. We're one body, but many members that make up that one body. We're not isolated to just go off and do something rogue on our own without everyone else knowing and without everyone else you know, helping out. Again, not that God hasn't called individuals to do something, but if we're operating as a church, we're only as good as when we're together, when we're working hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder for the cause of Christ. And again, he just keeps stressing that there's this aspect of, yes, different members, but you're making up one body. And if you're suffering in one area, you're gonna be suffering in another area. Have any of you ever stubbed a toe before? How does that feel? It hurts, right? It hurts all throughout your body when it first happens. It's, your body shuts down. Several weeks ago, I was you know, getting ready for bed and shut the lights off. I thought I knew where the bed was and walked, stepped right into the corner of the bedpost and jammed the, the last three toes on my foot and I crumbled to the ground. It was just the last three toes but the entire body was affected by it. You think that's funny, Paige? Okay, my wife thought it was funny, so it was, it was terrible. And, you know, for, for days after that, I was walking weird because just putting a little bit of pressure on that left side, I could feel it. It's amazing how, you know, the small appendage, like the baby toe or little toe, is affected and can affect the entire body. And this is the way it works. You get a small sliver, and it, you know, it can send pain throughout the entire body radiating. And this is the idea here, that, you know, when, when one member of the body as a church is affected, it affects every one of us. And, and that's a good thing. It should. Because that's a sign that we're actually aware of one another's needs and, and we're helping and encouraging one another so that if we hear that Bob is suffering, we're all suffering. We're all rallying around to pray with him, to encourage him and to support him and whatever that he's going through. And that's the way the body should function together. Every one of us, every one of us serve a purpose. Every one of us are important. Again, verse 22, it says, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble even those ones that, you know, uh, maybe are, you know, not as capable as others in the church, it says they are still necessary. You may not be able to do what you once did, but there's still a reason that you're here and there's still a function that you can serve. Every one of you are necessary. From the smallest of us to the oldest of us, there is a purpose, there's something that we can do and minister with each other here in the church. Every one of us, are, are driven by something. We're all motivated in some way. It's good to have a noble purpose because that's what separates us from those who have no purpose at all and are just being basically pushed around like foolish cattle that don't know what they're doing or even where they're going. Many of us are still struggling, though, to figure out what our role is in the church, what God would have us to do, how he would have us to serve, how he would have us to get involved in ministry. Now, let me just say to every one of us here tonight, as you strive to figure out what God would have you to do, start, as you're thinking about what you're going to ask God for, start with the highest view of God that you can possibly have. 
And what I mean by that is, imagine that God could call you to do the highest task, and that if he's going to do that, he's going to equip you to do it. Just have the highest view of God as possible as you're praying about what God would have you to do and how he'd have you to get involved in ministry. Settle it in your mind that God can equip you, that God can strengthen you for any good work that he may call you to do. Because I guarantee that when you start getting active in the ministry, the devil is going to try and discourage you, making you feel like you're completely inadequate and unskilled for the work that God has called you to do. And your first reaction to him and all the lies that he's going to try and feed you may be that you remind him, the devil, of the fact that God is the source of your strength, that God is the one who has called you and is the one who will sustain you through whatever it is he has called you to do. If God has called you to a specific area of service, believe me, God will supply all the grace, all the strength that you need to do just what he's called you to do, but also to overcome the troubles that are sure to come your way. Think about some of the, the faithful servants that we read about, uh, faithful servants of God throughout the Bible. Look at a man like David. David was perhaps the greatest king that the nation of Israel had seen. His accomplishments were legendary. This man was a, a mighty man in valor. He was uh, just a tremendous leader in, in armies, and he reigned for 40 years. And his son, Solomon, took over after he died. And he added to the work that David had done. And that is not to diminish any of the incredible work that David had done leading the nation of Israel for 40 years, but just like you and me, someone is going to pick up where we left off in our service for God as well. We're not going to be around forever. You may be serving in an area of ministry right now, and I'm here to tell you that you're not always going to be doing what you're doing right now. That's not to say that you're not doing a fine job or you're all going to be fired. But there will come a day where you will pass the torch onto someone else to come and to fill the shoes that you have filled and serve God where you had been serving. What you're doing right now was probably, if you think about it, the work that someone else was doing before you. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, how the torch is going to be passed on to someone else because there was one day when it was passed to you. And honestly, this is the way that God intended on it being in the church. He never intended for a handful of people to be doing everything in church. This is the idea that's expressed by the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We also see it, if you want to turn back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's addressing the same thing here. And in verses 9 and 10, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10, he says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, notice this, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. You know what he says? He says, I started a work, and then I passed a torch on to someone who came behind me, and he came and he finished it. And then after him, he's going to pass a torch, and someone else is going to you know, keep working and keep building upon what was built by the Apostle Paul, and then who came after that, and who came after that. You're probably here, and you're probably ministering in some area that someone else was ministering in before you. And there's going to come a day when you're going to have to give way for someone else to come behind you. And this is the way that it is intended to be. It doesn't often happen that God calls one person to do an entire work. Rather, God seems to call one to start the work, and then others to come behind to do the rest. This should be a huge relief 
to those who think that you're in this alone and you're just struggling to stay afloat in whatever area of ministry you're serving. God has someone prepared or is preparing someone to come alongside you or to come after you and to pick up where you left off. I think of what it's like to build a house. David, I know you built your house. Nine times out of 10, it's not gonna be done by one person, right? You didn't do every aspect of the building. One person may be responsible for drawing up all the plans. Another person may be responsible for pouring and laying the foundation. Another may be responsible for coming and framing the entire house. Another may be responsible to come in and to run all the electrical throughout the house. Another may come in to set up all the plumbing. Another may come to set up and lay all the drywall. Another to put in and install all the flooring. Another to paint. And the list goes on and on and on of all the different individuals that may be incorporated in the process of building a house. Now, there may be one person that does several of these jobs, but he's not doing every single one of them by himself. And this is the idea here, that when it comes to the church, there may be one person that serves in, in several different ministries or different areas of ministry, but there are others that are getting involved as well. And everyone coming together for one purpose, and that's instance to build a house. When everyone does their job, the house is complete and everything is great. When King David wanted to build a house for the Lord, the Lord told him that he would not be the one to do it, but that it would be done by his son Solomon. And so David did his part. He started the process. He gathered all the materials. He gathered as much as he could, knowing that Solomon would be the one to actually build the house, but he was preparing the way for that to be done. He was easing the job for Solomon to do when it was his time to take the torch from David and to be the next king of Israel. And I'm sure that Solomon was incredibly thankful and appreciative for all the work that his father David had done because David made his life so much easier. He's the one to build the house, and wouldn't you know, all the resources are already there. All the materials have already been gathered. Think of all the Davids who have gone before us. Who has God used in our lives to go before us and to start something that God is enabling us to do and to, co and to come behind and work on? Who paved the way for us to be used by God in a great way? And maybe you can think of someone that was serving in the area of ministry that you're serving in right now, but was there before you. Someone maybe who trained you and showed you uh, the, the way that things are done, how to be a blessing in church. Uh, there's, there's so many people that God uses, people who train us, who equip us, who show us different things of you know, how, to, how to minister to young children, how to minister to adults, how to be a soul winner, how to be a prayer warrior. And all these different things are valuable to us that and it's important that God has people like this who are pouring into the next generation who is going to be following after them. As it was with, uh, with Solomon, for many of us, um, it may be a parent. It could also be someone else. Either way, God has sent people before us for us to learn from them, whether it's learning from their example or learning from the things that they are able to teach us. We ought always to be thankful for the people that God has put in our lives, even if it's for a small time, if they're able to teach us something valuable, point us to God and show us an area where we can be a blessing in ministry, it's an encouragement for us to have them for as short time as may, they may have had. Um, it's a great opportunity, especially uh, when God uses people like that to steer us in the right direction and prepare us for the ministry that we're going to be getting involved in. It's an honor to be able to serve the Lord. It is an honor to follow in the footsteps of godly men and women, people that have come before us and continue the work that was started by someone else. Uh, the beauty of doing things God's way 
is that you never have to worry about who gets the credit. If we were pridefully working in church, we'd be constantly struggling to figure out who deserves the credit for the work that's being done here. And one may have started the work, several others have picked up the work where it was left off, so it's very easy, if the pride is involved, it's very easy for there to be a power struggle as people wish to receive credit for the part that they did, and well, they did more, and they were here more often than this person. This person only showed up you know, for one hour and did a small amount of work, and he's getting the same amount of credit as me. It's easy for this to happen. The, the prideful attitude is very dangerous and can quickly spread throughout the church to the point where the entire church is now choosing sides and basically playing favorites. And this is the issue that Paul was addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I read to you verses 9 and 10, but if you're there, turn, or if you're not, turn back there and just look at what it says in the first seven verses of this passage. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 7. So verses 9 and 10 says, well, listen, we're working together. We're to be building one another up. And it says in verses 1 through 7, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So he's addressing this problem in the Corinthian church where they're arguing and fighting amongst themselves about who's better. Well, you know, I was led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. Oh yeah, well, I was led to the Lord by Apollos. So, you know, take that. And we're going to sit on this side of the church because we don't want anything to do with you. And just constant bickering back and forth. Imagine what any project is going to be like. Imagine what any VBS in that church is going to look like when they're all arguing, competing against each other. Oh yeah, my class did this. Oh yeah, well my class, you know, they memorized the entire verse and just all this strife between them. And Paul says, I can't even talk to you guys as mature believers, which you should be. You're arguing over the most ridiculous things. And he says, you need to understand something. Yes, he says, I may have led you to the Lord. Yes, Apollos may have led you to the Lord. You know what? We're nothing, he says. We're absolutely nothing. I love that he says this there in verse number seven. He says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. He calls himself nothing. The apostle Paul, people in the church in Corinth are putting him on a pedestal, putting Apollos on a pedestal. And rather than him allowing his ego to puff him up and say, you know what? You're right. You should be praising me for what I've done. No, he puts them in their place by putting himself in his proper place. A hundred years from now, who in this church is going to remember you? Who's going to remember you? And don't go thinking that you've got to etch your name like on, on, a, on a wall or a door frame or something like that. And so hopefully if this building is still standing in a hundred years, Someone will come by and say, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so was here in 2024. A hundred years from now, who's going to remember you? Now, I'm not trying to, to be morbid or even make you feel insignificant, but rather I'm trying to remind you that what we're doing here, from the least of us to the greatest of us, is entirely for Christ. 
Nothing we do here is about elevating or promoting any individual. It's all about giving Christ the preeminence and proclaiming him. Should the Lord tarry a hundred years from now, no one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember who was on the deacon board. No one's going to remember who was in the sound booth. No one's going to remember who the greeter was. No one's going to remember who was playing the piano. No one's going to remember who taught Sunday school classes. No one's going to remember any of this. A hundred years from now, no one's going to remember us. You know what? That's fine. Some people get carried away thinking that they have to be making a name for themselves when in fact Christ is calling us to make less of ourselves and more of him. We may not be remembered a hundred years from now, but think of how awesome it will be. You're probably not going to be around in a hundred years, but think of how awesome it will be if in a hundred years from now, Latham Bible Baptist Church is still around. It is still thriving for the Lord. Think of how awesome it'll be if this church is actively working on reaching the lost for Christ and leading sinners to salvation a hundred years from now. Think of how awesome it'll be if God raises up individuals after us and then after them and then after them and so on and so forth to continue the work that we picked up from someone who came before us working God's mission and serving in his ministry as the years go on. If you're serving Christ for the right reasons, you're not going to care who gets the credit. You're not going to care if your name is remembered. You didn't serve for the recognition, for the acknowledgement, and for everyone in church to remember your name. You serve to honor the Lord if you serve the right way. The picture that the Apostle Paul gives back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, is that of a, of a physical body and each member making up a different part. And as we look around the room, we can see, even if we're few in numbers tonight because of probably the weather, even as we look around the room, we can see that God has equipped every single one of us differently. Some are incredibly creative and have a wonderful vision. They can look at a few little details and they can see how, how this can be transformed into something magnificent. They know how to utilize every little resource to create something useful and something beautiful in God's ministry and service. Some are really good with working with their hands and can build almost anything and can repair almost everything. Some have a gift for teaching and God has equipped them and enabled them to explain great and incredible truths to almost any audience and make them understand it. Some are really good at listening and have a way of providing comfort to others just by simply inclining their ear to listen to the needs and the concerns of others and offering consolation to them as needed. Some are prayer warriors, and whether we see this or not, they're constantly lifting each other up in prayer. Some are servants, and even though they may not be skilled in one particular area, they find a way to be a blessing and to get involved and even if it's behind the scenes and no one knows what they've done. There are countless gifts that I see just in looking around the room at the few that are here tonight. And when all of those things come together, it's truly amazing. We see this, I think, in a big way several times a year at some of the events that we have. Such as the Easter egg hunt, 
VBS and most recently Fall Fest. I remember as we prepared for Fall Fest to get started, the day of, we had everything just about ready and we had all the volunteers. We tried to gather everyone here in the sanctuary for prayer before the children started showing up just so we were ready for what the day was going to look like. And I remember being so overwhelmed with joy as I saw how many volunteers there were that day. These entire two sections were full of people. And I, I remember thinking, like, it's going to be just this section. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, I have to turn to address everyone because there's so many people here. And I remember thinking, this is awesome. It seemed like we had as many volunteers as we had kids, and we had over 115 kids that came for Fall Fest. But I was so encouraged before that as we were getting into a time of prayer and remember thinking about how awesome this day is going to be if it was just because of the sheer number of volunteers that we had who came out to serve and to be, and be a minister to all the different people that came. And then the Lord blessed us even greater than that because we saw three kids saved that day. How awesome. Three souls were added to God's kingdom. The gospel was planted in the hearts of others. It was watered in others. And God was working on hearts because each of us were willing to be used by God and to give him the glory. And this is what the church should be about. A bunch of selfless people with different gifts and different talents and different abilities working in conjunction, fitly joined together, as it says there in Ephesians, with each other to accomplish God's purpose of reaching the lost for him and magnifying the name of Christ. In a world that is all about boosting our own personal self-image, God is calling us to find our worth in him. A high self-image is something that honestly stands in our way of us serving God the way that we should. Everything that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is really an attack on our self-image. He's trying to tear us down as far as our self-image is concerned. He's basically stripping away all the pride, all the self-worth to reveal to us that we're all members of a much larger body, one that should be operating together with each other for the purpose of the Lord. And look at what it says again in verse number 14 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 again. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. Many members making up one body. So much of what we do involves, and you may not agree with me, but I see it. So much of what we do involves avoiding people. But here we're actually told that we need to be actively seeking each other out in church so that we as a body collectively might be functioning at full capacity. Some of us go about our service not wanting help from others, even though we could use it. And the way we go about dismissing the help comes across as if we don't even need help from God. If God were to come and offer us, we'd turn him down. Some of us treat God's work as if it's a competition, as if we must come out looking better than everyone else. A little newsflash for us, whether, uh, whatever service God has called us to, we're never gonna come out as number one. The sooner you stop looking at God's service like it's a competition or something that others must take notice of, the sooner your work and service for the Lord will really begin to thrive. Much of what is holding us back is our own egos. Rather than giving God the credit, we're trying to do everything we can so that other people take notice of us. We're strategic 
and what we do depending on who's around. Oh, I see so-and-so is here. Well, I want, maybe I'll get in their way and see if they can see what I'm doing. Hey, Bob, did you catch that? I'm fixing this, okay? You caught that? Good, all right. We try and make sure that other people notice. We're not going to lift a finger until other people happen to be around. And when they're around, boy, we are the biggest servant there is. Did you see me take out the trash earlier today? Did you see me fix the communion table? Did you see me do this? Did you see me do that? Did you see that? Did you happen to catch that? You know, I replaced a few, few light bulbs the other day. Anyone happen to notice that? Why do we do this? I think this is a... a, a a reality check that many of us need because we tend to do all sorts of different things to get other people's attention, to get that recognition, to make sure that other people notice what we do. And it's silly how much time and effort we put into trying to impress each other when Christ is the one who we're all going to be standing before in judgment one day. And Christ knows every ambition every motivation, every action, every thought that we've ever had. Regardless of what we've done, Christ knows what intent was there behind the action. And whatever good thought we were doing, Christ will reveal it for what it truly is. There's nothing wrong with not having ambitions to build upon the work that someone else has done, but don't let that idea snowball. If there is a good foundation for you to build upon and you're capable of building up that structure, by all means, be thankful that someone else has done part of the work for you and you get busy filling in where you can. This is God's way of, of keeping you humble as he allows one person's work to be joined by another person's work. I'll be honest, many times it is good for there to be a change of workers, to be a change of people that are serving in ministry. I mentioned that David was king over Israel for 40 years, and I'm glad it ended at 40 years. Could he have done more? Absolutely. But in that time, he was able to gather the resources for the temple that his son Solomon, who would take the throne after him, was able to come with young blood and new energy and to carry on that work. Sometimes the best thing for us to do as we're serving and ministering in church is to pass the torch onto someone that's coming up after us. That's not to say that what you're doing right now is not a good job, but sometimes the best thing we can do is to allow the next generation to pick up the work that we've been carrying on for years. Or at the very least, start mentoring someone to fill in your shoes. Now, this can be difficult because we've, been, we've grown so accustomed to doing a certain job and to do it a certain way. And we know that no one else can do the job quite as good as what I can do. It's true that no one coming after you is going to do things exactly as you've done it. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't also equipped them for the job. The rest of us can help the situation. And this is a... If you forget everything I say, remember this. Every one of us can help the situation by not commenting. If you use these words or ever use these words, remove them from your vocabulary. Okay, because I've heard these so many times and I'm sick and tired of hearing these phrases. Well, you know, that's not how so-and-so would do that. You know what? I'm not so-and-so. So of course I'm going to do it differently than the person who I'm filling the shoes in. Or my personal favorite, we've always done it this way. Well, congratulations, because you've been doing it wrong for 100 years. <sighs> Of course, we're going to do things differently than the one who was before us. We're different people. We're not all clones. 
If you catch yourself saying such things, you have my permission to hit yourself over the head. All a comment like that does is lead to division and discouragement. If we're all members of one body, and we are, we should be striving for unity. God hasn't called us as a body of church to work alone where, where we never get to see or interact with anyone else. God has called us to work together, fitly joined together, are his words, to walk together, to work together, to support one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to lift each other up, to keep the bonds of unity in our Savior Christ Jesus. Like any other church, we're always in, new, we're always in need of new recruits. We're always on the lookout for those who are hungry, for those who are eager to serve the Lord. We're glad for all the help that we have received throughout the years, and we are glad for all the help that we can get. There's a greeter ministry sign-up sheet. Someone sign up for that. I want to see that chart filled up. I want to see all those slots filled up. Uh, if you are looking for an area to help out, what an easy way for you to get involved to be a greeter. And if you're going to do that, let me just say, be ready to be a greeter. Smile Welcome people as they come in. Uh, don't be looking like a grump. Uh, I don't care what your day was looking like as you came into church. You make it seem like it is the greatest day ever as you're handing bulletins and welcoming people to church. But an easy way for people to get involved. We're glad for all the help that we can get. But I say that the work is not yet done and it's never too late for people to get involved. Come alongside your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and let's work together for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to come together, Lord, and indeed it's nice to just come together. We may be small in number here this evening because of the weather and other factors, but Lord, being together is an encouragement. Being able to sing together, being able to, to talk together and to pray together, Lord, is always edifying and encouraging, especially as our focus is on you. And I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, I know that we struggle in, every, in, in different ways, but help us to understand, Lord, that we are members, individual members of one body. And even if we have a different role and different function than someone else, Lord, we know that everyone is necessary. Every part that people play in this church are necessary. As feeble as it may be, it is necessary. Let us never demean others, look down upon the work that other people are doing, but Lord, understand that we're in this together to be fitly joined together for the purpose of edifying one another and promoting you. Lord, help us to learn this valuable lesson and to be just a beautiful picture of what you designed the church to be like. In Christ's name we pray, amen.